Welcome to Growing Through Grief. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Growing Through Grief is a weekly sprinkle of education and inspiration to help you take action that leads to personal freedom and greatness. I share powerful conversations with grief experts, spiritual advisors, and other courageous souls in this transformational podcast. I believe with the right support and the power of community, you can eliminate unnecessary prolonged grief. I'm here to teach you how to normalize, recognize, and use grief as a growth tool. I've been a champion for growth for decades since the loss of my mother. Together, we are growing. I'll give you weekly tips and small steps that will move the needle forward so that you are experiencing a healthy inner relationship with yourself. Let's get started. So welcome to the Growing Through Grief podcast. I am your host, Diana Curtis, and I'm so glad you're here listening to this episode with me. And I have a special guest for you. We are here to help you grow and navigate through grief, especially if you have lost a loved one. And we do this with we breathe compassion and comfort into your space, as well as give you tools. So I want take any longer. I promise you that you would hear more from our brother, Sean Costley. He is back. And let me just go ahead and reintroduce him. By the way, if you didn't listen to the very first episode, you want to go back and listen to that first, then come on and listen to this episode because Sean gave us some gems, some wisdom on how to deal with grief when it's back-to-back, grief, loss, death, whatever, when it's back-to-back, how to designate some time to grieve. And one of the, the things that he said that's still resonating in my body is set an appointment with yourself, just like you set appointments with other things, do the same to grieve. And of course, I added, if you are afraid to do it alone, seek out and get support. So here we are. Let me introduce my brother again. Sean is from New Jersey, and he has traveled several, several places, Guam, Spain, Hawaii, Puerto Rico. And he shared in the first episode that that was really a gift for him to be able to go to different places and learn about different cultures. And it molded his life so that he would be able to just live and with anyone and befriend anyone, be in relationship with all people. He has several degrees. He served with DOD. He's currently the director of Huntsville Corporate Housing Solutions, as well as the founder of Madison Mighty Men of Valor. And these are Christian men. And he has a lovely wife, Louise, two girls and a son. So welcome back, Sean. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is great. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. He's ready. He is ready, everyone. So again, we had a part one. This is part two. So we're going to talk more about how to deal with the living. You know, the those of us who are left behind to grieve our loved one. And what does 
aftercare looks like in the sense of coming from a minister or uh, myself as a grief counselor. What does that look like? So I'm just going to throw that back at you, Sean. And what, what does it look like? The aftercare personally is imperative and familially is, is imperative. We have to do some, some mourning. Uh, we have to do some some grieving, and, and we need to make, as I said earlier, time out to do that. Speaking biblically, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes states that for everything, there is a season. And one of those seasons is a time to mourn and a time to weep. And so it's already stated that there needs to be a season. And oftentimes we have missed the season, at least as of late, because of the rapidity of deaths that have taken place and that we've had to grieve over due to COVID and some other things, as we stated earlier in our, our previous session. Mm-hmm. So I emphasize then that aftercare involves taking time out to grieve. And what I suggested was since it is supposed to be a season at a time, that we literally set an appointment with ourselves to do just that, whether it is to you know celebrate that life and kind of maybe go away. I talked about sitting in the park and uh, just thinking about my cousin Russell, who was uh, very close to me and it, uh, was the most recent passing and transition for me, but to sit down and reflect on that person's life and laugh a little bit and cry a little bit and just think about the things that he's contributed to my life to help me be the man that I am. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of those things we would be doing at, in our culture at a repass, uh, which was, I mentioned as a repassing through. Uh, that was a time that we would sit and laugh over some fried chicken and some stewed <laughs> tomatoes and stuff. And we would laugh and talk about our, our departed friend and a cousin and loved one. And uh, it brought unity to the family because family members were coming together who hadn't seen each other in quite some time. And so it kind of closed that circle. So I encouraged everyone and, and still do to set aside, put it on the counter, make an appointment with yourself. Uh, to be able to do that, as well as being that you are to be the first partaker. You are the priority when it comes to grief. Once you're able to have that time to grieve, then aftercare also involves family. It involves reaching out. And so take some time to reach out to the, 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 those members closer to that departed person, the spouses, the children. Uh, that type of thing, and, and a nice nugget that I would that I would leave for you on. I'm a time person, counter kind of counter person. I would really put on a little, especially if you don't live nearby. Really, you need to put on your calendar about every 30 days to reach out and touch that person. And I'm gonna, I'm going to say why. Everybody is going to help you grieve that first week. I mean, from the time the person transitions to the time that they're buried or cremated or what have you, uh, people are going to be there. They, they are. Uh, and, and they mean it. They love you. They're going to be there. After about 30 days, that number of people begins to diminish quite a bit. And the reality of the person passing oftentimes doesn't kick in until about 30 days later, because now you're getting bills. Now you're, you're, you're cleaning out closets. Now you're, you're picking up and handling things that this person, that belong to that person. 
and the memories flood back and it's kind of hard to deal with. And, you know, as I mentioned last time as well, that's why you don't want to make serious decisions in that first you know year or so, because you've got to get into a rational state. People need, they need someone to talk to. So as a family member, take the time about every you know 30 days, just to call aunt so-and-so back again. And Hey, come on by, bring that pie that you brought the first time, you know, just, Try to reach out and just make sure that there's a continued uh, ministry of of help. They might need to move. You might need to help move some things for them. They don't have the heart to take this stuff to Goodwill or or to donate. And, you know, they just don't want to touch it anymore. You got to be there and have that sympathy, that sympathetic ear, and be able to you know sympathize and empathize uh, with with what they're with the, with what they're going through. So be sensitive. In summary, not first to your needs in terms of grieving time, but then also as you begin to grow and recover from that, uh, begin to also realize that that family needs some touch points along the way to help them and to help them go through. They're, they're, they're taking it hard, and there's a lot of work afterwards that has to be, that has to be done. Mm. Nice, nice. So you just gave the audience a list of things that they can do to support a family members who've lost loved ones and or support yourself through the process. So aftercare is so, so important. Connection, unity. It reminds me of, I just started this initiative. It's called Compassionate Grief Circles. Because again, I believe healing happens in community and just having a group of like-minded people and someone who can witness that pain. So aftercare for me is all of what you just said. In addition to that, is helping people process and move that pain, move the emotion out of their body, whether it's doubt, worry, guilt, shame, whatever. You don't want that to sit in your body. You want to move, let it move through. And that does take some practice. If you are one of those people who stuff it down, that's mm-hmm. where that's what depression is. Now, depression does have a clinical aspect, but sometimes we call it depression because we are depressing our emotions, and it's sitting right there in the body. The body is not designed to be a storage container, right? Right. It's not. We flush everything through like we do with water and other ways and even breathing. Mm -hmm. The same is true for our emotions. Aftercare is so, so important. So thank you for that. Thank you. What have you noticed as a minister, as a leader in your community? What have you noticed about people that you interact with, how are they really dealing with grief and the loss of a loved one? Uh, I, I would say that they're, they're not dealing with it well for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, a lot of it, as I was talking about the rapidity of, of, of deaths and, and, and all, people are just trying to hold it together. Mm. And so they're putting aside that kind of grieving time all in the name of, Hey, now I've got to, I've got to take on my brother's kids. I've got to get them squared away. I've got to get dad, right. I've got, I mean, they, they have thrown themselves into the work and uh, have not really dealt with their, 
with their true, true feelings. Yeah. And, and sometimes it, it, it plays out right away. Uh, sometimes it can come out, you know, years later, things that they just kind of suppressed and never really, really dealt with. And personal example for me, a, a lot of people don't realize I, I had an older son who passed away in 2004, 2004, yeah, 2004, on shortly after New Year's Day, we lost him. So he, he uh, survived for four days and then we, um, we lost him. And for a long time, I suppressed a lot of that. I mean, I, I was mad at God. I was mad at the world. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do all things right and blah, blah, blah. And I said some choice words to God that uh, surprised lightning come down. <laughs> but I was hot. But I, I never really dealt with it uh, when you were talking about kind of this group getting getting together to share, they may have had a common loss. Uh, it wasn't until I sat down with other people who had gone through uh, infant deaths or uh, miscarriages and the like uh, that I began to understand that, one, it's more common than what's discussed. And then secondly, that there were other people out there and they were sharing how they dealt with uh, that uh, grief and so much so that, you know, it was impacting my, my desire to even have kids after that. So there were a lot of things that were, that grief impacted on other decisions I was trying to make uh, in life. So one, you, you got to find somebody to talk to. Uh, you can't be afraid of, of counseling and kudos to the African-American community, kudos to, to communities of color now who are beginning to change their paradigm as it relates to grief uh, and struggle. Uh, you see it; it's more evident out here now. Uh, people are encouraging our, our African American brothers and men of color. Hey, go in and talk to somebody. Brothers aren't afraid anymore because it was a sign of being soft. Yeah. You know, it's a sign of weakness. If you had to go, you know, come on, black man, stand up, do your thing. You know, I mean, it was it was look. You know, you looked at it as a punk sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you went to any kind of counseling. But now men have realized the benefits of it and our, our, that boat, it's a battleship. It doesn't turn quick like a jet ski, but yeah. it's turning like a battleship that we're starting to seek uh, counsel and get that counsel. And sadly, we've had brothers who have, you know, older generations who have suffered silently through these things and never really got the counseling. So again, uh, I would encourage now Get out here and do it. We've got to be as ministers, as counselors, as community leaders. We've got to learn to be more sensitive to people that are going through things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to have that 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 sense of compassion when when we're dealing with people and not judge them, but but provide a way out. Uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus could, didn't call her any kind of names. He just told her, go and sin no more. You've got to be able to meet a person where they are. Right. And 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 teach at their level and, and reach out at their level, help bring them up and then help get them past the, the situation. So uh, two sides of that. We as a person suffering from grief or suffering from pain, need to get past the stereotypes 
and hesitancy of seeking help. And then we as community leaders, as spiritual leaders, have to open that door up, one, and talk about it more. Because there are pain points within the African-American community that we still don't like to talk about. We don't talk about gender issues. We don't like to talk about suicide. We don't like to talk about mental health. Uh, There's a lot of areas that we have uh, allowed to just kind of be unspoken that uh, we don't don't like touching in our communities. Thank God it's changing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're forced to change because people are becoming more vocal now about addressing those issues. Right. Yes. Nice. You said a lot there. So first of all, my condolences around losing uh, your son. Oh yeah. You would have been 18. He'd have been 18 this, uh, this year. 18. He's over there preparing heaven for you. In the West. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for your vulnerability as mm-hmm. a man that you were in a group. You got upset with God. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay mm-hmm. to go through whatever you need to go through because we can't hide it from God. God already knows, right? Absolutely. <laughs> already knows. And when I asked the question, what are you seeing in your community interaction with others? You said people are not processing their pain, at least from your experience, they are holding it together. And we do that with distractions, you know, the busyness. But as I said, the body is a processing center. It -hmm. is not a storage container. It's coming up and it's coming up in ways that you're not. A lot of times that people don't relate it to the grief. Sometimes the habits and the behaviors, the outbursts, we are just not connecting that to there's something inside of me that's just not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could, I could add to that as well, what we also need to change in our thinking, and we almost have to now because of our inability to assemble in our communities of color, our spiritual centers were the places where we could kind of release that. We would even say, you know, on Sunday, when I get to church, I'm just going to prostrate myself on on the floor before the Lord, and I'm going to scream out and cry out. You know, I'm going to go to synagogue. I'm going to go to the mosque, and that's going to be be my time. We've got to remember that that, that our temple is anywhere we decide to set it. And so I can I, I don't have to wait till Pastor so and so sees me or or you know Iman so and so or Rabbi so and so I can I can take time with myself and and speak to the Father He can or speak to whoever you worship it's it's there you don't have to rely on someone else initially uh, to do that and you're right we hold a lot of stuff and so I used to call it the trash masher. You know, sometimes that garbage disposal doesn't work and you just keep mashing stuff inside and mashing stuff inside. And when we do that to our bodies, they go into a state of what's commonly referred to as sepsis. And so we don't want to be in that kind of position where now we're letting this stuff pollute the rest of our body. So now not only are we not mourning, now we've got physical problems as a result. Blood pressure is going up, you know, and all these other uh, issues that come about through, due to stress or what have you, all because we've not taken that time out to to properly 
mourn or grieve or seek help when we do need help in that area. Wow. I couldn't have said that better. You Maybe you should teach my course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got this, Diana. That, that, that. What I know for sure is grief is a whole body experience. Mm-hmm. It does affect the mind, the emotions, the body, all of those ailments that you just said we t- people have when stuff is stuck down in the body. And a lot of people are going to the doctors, doctors doing blood tests and running all these tests, can't find anything wrong. Mm. There's some spiritual issues, pain, emotions yes. that's yes. stuck yes. down yes. in there and blocking blood circulation, everything. Mm-hmm. Grief affects all of us, all of who you are spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically, meaning the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Absolutely. Your body can't stay in that flight or fight mode forever. Right. Uh, it's not equipped to do that. Right. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll overcharge that thing to the point it starts wearing the body down. Uh, because it, that that stress level, that that grieving, is kind of a fight or flight category kind of response. It, it needs to be released in one way, shape, or form, or it begins to have the adverse impacts to the body. Yes, I love that you reminded us of the impact on. We now call it the BIPOC community, Blacks, Indigenous people of color, that we are more open to conversations about mental health. Just like we do an annual physical checkup, we have to daily do a mental checkup. It Mm -hmm. doesn't mean what our ancestors told us, our great-great-grandparents that you don't need to go to a psychiatrist. You're not crazy. No, I'm not crazy. But I can use some mental cleansing Mm -hmm. and clearing out the mind. Right. Reframing all those stories and beliefs and things that I was told back in the day that doesn't work for me anymore. It's no longer true for me. I get to create my own beliefs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're taught, you know, in, in the Christian circles to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and that renewing, it's it's a gerund. It's an ING word. So that's a constantly Cleaning product, that renewing is constant, not a renew once and that's it, but a constantly growing and cycling process. We need to be moving at the speed of education, as I said before, and, and doing now what we know now to do. Yeah. Uh, and that comes through that renewing process. Yeah, I missed that phrase the first time. The speed of education mm-hmm. reminds me of. When the student is ready, the teacher will show up. So we ask for things. We want this. We want that. When you're ready for it, listeners, someone will show up as a mentor, as a counselor, as a therapist, as a coach, whatever will show up to support you. When you really, really want it, that person will show up for you. Wow. Absolutely. So the next question is, we had talked about, when we know things are just not right inside, <laughs> we know, mm-hmm. we already know, right? What are some questions that we can ask of ourselves 
may not be able to answer them totally, but just ask myself. For instance, I'm thinking of one example when that maybe that might be one thing that just send me reeling in anger or upset. Number one question I would ask myself is, why am I so angry about that? What is going on inside of me? Mm-hmm. Why does that really cause so much upset? Yeah. So what would be some examples for you when we know things are not right inside? <laughs> yeah, as you kind of said there, you have to deconstruct what the triggers are. You make a decision to respond a certain way to things. Uh, you know, when somebody makes you mad, quote unquote, that's not really the case. You decide to get angry, which is a better way of, of looking at it. So why are you allowing this to pain, you know, be painful for you? What is it that's causing uh, you to experience that pain? And you've got to be able to to uh, deconstruct it. I know using being a man, I'll, I'll share kind of from a man's point of view. A lot of times men get irritated by something their spouse may say to them because it's true and they didn't think that the spouse recognized it. So we don't like being found out. So when you when you pop something on us and you know we kind of snap back, normally it's because we thought we had our thing going and we didn't realize that, that uh, it was out there for the world to see. So when you call us on it, uh, it puts us in an uncomfortable place. And normally when you are in a uncomfortable place, you lash out. That's why you get a little irritable when you're hungry. You're hungry. Don't ask me to do something right now. Why well, I'm hungry. You ask me to do something. Uh, I'm snapping back at you because I'm hungry and I want to eat. We're, so we've got to identify those, those triggers. What pushes our buttons uh, as, as wives uh, you you know, most wives know what buttons to push that'll set the husbands off. They just know. Men, we don't study our wives that closely, but wives know if they say this or poke that bear, they're, they're going to get upset. So we've got to study ourselves enough to know what our triggers are, you know, and sometimes there's a reason behind it. It might have been a previous experience as a, let's flip it around, as a woman. A man may say something to you, you'll go off on him only because the last boyfriend that you had used to say that. Now, the first, the, your current boyfriend didn't even know, had no idea that your former friend said or did what he did. But because that's a trigger point for you, you lashed off at him. He didn't know you didn't like sugar in your Kool-Aid. Right. But ain't no sense of getting mad at him about it. But because it happened with the first guy, it's it's caused or brought back a bad memory or anything like that. A young lady, I know she didn't like flowers given to her because her old boyfriend used to give her flowers the whole time. She He was cheating on her. Mm-hmm. So every time the new guy brought her flowers, it immediately came back. Right. You know, this is what my other, my ex did. And so she would get mad at him. And, and the young man, nice guy, yeah. you know, all the best intentions in the world, just didn't understand. So we need to identify immediately, why am I deciding to respond in this way? And once that is out there, then of course, the next question is, is, you know, what is one step that I can take? Because normally, you know, like I said, you can't solve the world's problems in a day, 
but you can say, what is one small step I can take to avoid, you know, the responding the way that I did? So the first thing you might want to do is say, hey, I'm just going to avoid uh, the response. I'm going to work on the response. So next time I get flowers, I'm just going to take a deep breath. I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to remember that this person has the best, my best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say thank you. Okay. Yeah. Your next step might be, you know what? I'm going to forgive the fool that did this to me the first go around. And I need to let this go. Yeah. And you may have to say to yourself, I forgive you. Or you may have to tell that person, you know, I've been holding this for three, four years. I just want to say, I forgive you for what happened in the past. We've all moved on now. We're good. But I just need to say it, get it out of my system so that I can receive the blessings from the new person that's trying to do the right thing by bringing me some some flowers. So it's a two part. There's the internal deconstruct where you eliminate the threat, the pain, because it's it's a threat point for you. Mm-hmm. OK, but then you also learn to control the response to that to that pain. So I'm not going to I made up in my mind. I've purposed in my heart. I'm not going to respond adversely when new guy brings the flowers. It might take a minute. I may have to take a couple of breaths the first couple of rounds. But as you practice makes perfect, you know, I will begin to respond in a much more appropriate way. Uh, so, And that's in, in, at any pain point that just tends to drive us nuts. You know, why are you responding harshly to the kids every time they ask you for something? Well, it's not because they're asking you for stuff and cutting into your day. It may be very well be that, you know, you are a poor planner. And because you procrastinate on a project that you should have gotten done five days ago, you're mad at your kids because they're cutting into your time today. Well, that's not their fault. That's that's something you got to work on yourself and get straight. I agree. It is definitely an inside situation. Mm -hmm. I love that you say study yourself, examine yourself, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there's something inside. There's something sitting there that when I or you do whatever we do to our mates or kids, it triggers you. And that explosion, you explode, right? And you go off. So taking that deep breath to come back to your center is I love using the breath because breath is life. It is. That's my number one tool, but Mm -hmm. also working with yourself or someone else to process it, to -hmm. get it out of there, the forgiveness, whatever it takes to just, Mm -hmm. Remove that. So when it happens, you're not bothered by it. Oh, okay. I see what's happening. It's not bothering me because I've healed that part of my life. And then a lot of the ways, the things that trigger us today really happen as children that we, you know, we're just little children in grown up bodies, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of times the kids are running the show and we don't even realize that. So Yeah. Wow. Here we are almost at the end again. So what have I not asked you that you would like to share with the audience? As far as it relates to to grief and and the like, we we all need to, like I said, have that season where you you take time out. Uh, What what has helped me 
not just in, in times of grief and in times of, of mourning. I do a uh, personal retreat uh, with myself every every year. And it can vary from, a, you know, I'll just add a, take an extra Friday and just kind of add it to the weekend or, or you know, I'll, I'll get real creative. And if the holiday's on a Monday, I'll take Friday off, squeeze out four days. Uh, but I try to get away once every year. Uh, I, get, I get permission from my wife <laughs> to uh, to say, hey, I need to do a little solo getaway. And sometimes it's not, you know, I might go, I'm a, I'm a camping guy. Uh, sometimes I'll just get on the motorcycle and 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 ride off somewhere and just spend a couple of days just doing some introspection. And during that time, I will uh, look at my calendar. I will look at my family. I'll look at my spiritual life, my, my personal life, my work life, and just begin to kind of deconstruct some things and, and take a hard look at what changes I need to make going into the to the to the new year. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes now we are all so busy that we don't take the time out to make improvements. So we'll continue to kind of build our houses on sand. Yeah. Saying to ourselves, well, at least for now, it's it's the building is still up uh, because we don't have the time to properly set it up on a rock somewhere. Uh, so then what ends up happening is we have to continually do something and spend more time doing it wrong that if we had just did it right the first time, we'd be good. But also things change over a year. And what yeah. were priorities at one time are no longer priorities. Uh, folks who were acquaintances and colleagues at one part of your life may not need to be in your life uh, mm-hmm. anymore. The advent of Facebook has brought more folks in our lives that we didn't want to ever hear from again, if most of us were honest with ourselves. The increase in divorce rates and a lot of mental problems have come about. If you study and speak to a lot of lawyers and psychologists, they'll all use the same word, Facebook, no offense to Facebook, but Facebook has opened up the ability for folks to reach out and contact again. And some contact has has come with bad memories. And some contact has come with good memories. And so oftentimes when I go on this this personal retreat, not only do I shut off all my electronics, I decide who I'm going to cut off moving forward that are not adding to or benefiting my life. Uh, I don't need to hear from old girlfriends and, and, and all that kind of thing. Now, I'm a married man. I've got things to do and places to go. Uh, some of the fellas I used to hang with, hey, you know, that was fun at the time. I'll see you at homecoming, but I don't need to be talking to you for the rest of the year because, you know, you've got folks that that sometimes with good intentions just pull you away from your purpose and mission. And so you've got to go through this time, retreat time of reprioritization, determining what those big rocks are in your life and where they need to go. You may have to start looking at your scheduling, looking at your physical health, um, you know, taking care of yourself there. We've got to stop the, you know, I used to say stop the world so I can get off for a second. We've, we've got to stop what we're doing long enough. Look, Jesus, God rested. Jesus rested. He went up into the mountains for a couple of days, clear his head, you know, maybe brought up a few close disciples in you know, his inner circle with him. We cannot neglect from a mental, physical, and spiritual standpoint the the sincere blessing of being able to take time to yourself 
Stop thinking about everything else that's going on around you. What's coming on next? We know more about what's happening with housewives of here and husbands of here and, you know, this sending news and what the rapper's doing and all that. And we don't know what's going on with ourselves because we've not turned that same level of attention onto ourselves. And uh, so I would encourage people, put it on the calendar now, you know, some time out to be able to take time out. Sometimes I do it in the summer. Normally I do it in December. But uh, uh, that's a, a nice gym to have. Making make another appointment with yourself to do just an annual retreat. Don't have to get fancy with it. You can if you want. You know, I'll go, you know, stay at a hotel or just get out of the house. You want to get out of some common surroundings so you're not distracted. Otherwise, if you're like me, you'll start picking up some stuff. Oh, I need to do this. Next thing you know, you're running over doing something around the house. Get out of the house. But uh, get away somewhere where you can really do some personal introspection, do some journaling, do some some planning so that when you come out of that retreat time, you've got a strategy going into the next year. You know, things you are going to do, things you're going to stop doing, yeah. uh, some friendships and relationships you need to rekindle. Oh, and I, I forgot to add this too, and I'm sorry. We mentioned uh, the importance of reaching out earlier. Another gem is don't don't forget your elders. Yeah. In in today's season, uh, oftentimes we don't give our elders the respect and attention that they deserve until something like dementia hits, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden everyone wants to be around. You know, Uncle Jimmy. It's imperative for us. Uh, we are losing such a vast storage of knowledge by our not spending the kind of time and attention that we need to to have with our elders. Uh, I'll give a quick example and then I'll kind of shut up here. It had been bothering me kind of in my heart for about two or three months to go spend some time with one of my cousins who's in his late seventies. He has a twin sister and they literally live down the street from my aunt. I had not seen them probably in about 20 years. Now I see my aunt about once or twice a year. Uh, but for very many reasons, mostly my fault, I just never went down the street to go see my my two cousins. Uh, but something was stirring in me for us to go. And so I called my aunt and said, hey, let's uh, get together with Gerald and Geraldine and just tell them I'd like to come see him because I hadn't seen him in a while. I wanted to catch up with them, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, they're old school. So they're older, African-American, of course. And so, you know, you got to have your cakes and pies and all that kind of thing. So we went over and had cake and pie. We laughed and reminisced and and looked at some old pictures and stuff. And literally two weeks later, he passed away. Gerald did. And the first thing my aunt and I said when I she called to tell me was, Sean, I'm so glad that we were able to see Gerald before he passed. Yeah. Um, because he shared with us some things I hadn't heard about the family in a long time, but it satisfied my heart that I was able to to spend time with him. Uh, the patriarchs and matriarchs of our family are due every ounce of respect that their age and their position commands. And we need to remember that. Now, we're not doing the best of job, even in our own generation, my generation, with, with teaching and instilling that in the generations come after us. Because our kids have not only not developed the concept, for the most part, there are exceptions, but it's not held in the same uh, regard. Some of it is just geographically. We've moved, uh, our generation has moved further away from our hometowns than our previous generations. 
So getting home is not as easy as it used to be. However, we need to make that time to to ensure that um, we do that, uh, that we spend time with them. I totally, totally agree. Thank you. Thank you. And and as I said before, we're going to put all of your information in the show notes. But if there's one place that you would like to send the listeners, because I know they can't wait to get in touch with you, what would you (laughs) like for them to find you? Well, definitely. If you go on to uh, Facebook and search for uh, Madison's Mighty Men of Valor, uh, if you're a a man who's a a Christian male looking for a place for good fellowship, we meet once a month uh, for teaching. In fact, uh, in prayer, we're going through our the spiritual gifts now, so men can understand what the spiritual gifts are. Uh, You can also find me just direct on on Facebook if you just look up Sean Costley. Those would be the two best places to to get to me. Or if you want to just shoot me an email, I'm at uh, sean.costly at gmail.com. Be more than glad to, to talk to you uh, and uh, assist in, in, in the labor in the vineyard, so to speak. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure, my pleasure. There you have it, listeners. Remember to remember to get support when you need it. And as a reminder, you can reach me at coaching to the heart. Dot org, And I'm just all over Instagram and Facebook. So you can find me there at the Diana Curtis. So until we meet again, keep on growing. And remember that there are no failures. They're just all opportunities to grow. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.